y'all for being here. Uh, we just want to welcome you to First Baptist Eichern. And I feel like I've hit the jackpot because I got the 23rd Psalm. I usually get a bunch of other stuff. And I've, I've been joking with Michael and everybody that I could almost do this by heart. But I'm going to read from the New International Version, which is just a little different. So pay attention. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we just thank you for these verses, Father, that uh, speaks to us, Father, that shows us, Father, no matter how dark the time is or how uh, deep the valley, Father, you are with us and you will restore us and you will bring us back. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for these verses that just uh, does my soul good to know, Father, that you're there even through the, the toughest of times. Father, I pray for my church. Uh, members are going through tough times right now, Father, and I just pray that you'll be with them through those tough times. And Father, when we're on the hilltop, Father, you're there also. So now as we worship you, we want you to be the center of our attention. We ask that your Holy Spirit dwell but down upon us, Father, and just be here amongst us, Father, and lift our souls. Thank you for a great church. Thank you for a great church family. Thank you for your love, goodness, grace, and mercy, and uh, your generosity to us, Father. You're so generous in looking after us. Father, when we uh, take up an offering later or, or put it in, Father, we ask that you just use it to further your kingdom, to reach the lost, not only in our small community, but throughout the world. Thank you, Father, for all you do. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Y'all stand this morning as we worship together. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary To save a ranch like me I heard about His groaning Of His precious blood's atoning Then I repented of my sin And won the victory Oh, victory in Jesus My Savior forever He sought me and bought me With His redeeming me to victory beneath the cleansing flood and I heard about his healing of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to 
thank you for your goodness and grace toward us. We thank you that we can gather together in this place and worship you, the creator of the universe, the God who made us. We gather to worship you and God, we pray that you would remove any distraction from our life that prevents us from worshiping you and you alone. God, we thank you for the great joy we have in following you. That you have saved us from our sin and you have given us eternal life. God, we're grateful that you loved us enough that you sent your son to give his life in our place. And God, we pray this morning that because of that great love that we would live for you. God, you would help us through the power of your Spirit to, to live a life that is pleasing to you. God, we pray this morning for those in our community who are sick, many who have been hurting. God, many for some time. We just ask that, Lord, you would provide healing for their life. You would give them comfort in the midst of their struggle. God, you would care for their needs. God, we pray that you would help our witness in this community. That as each one of us leaves here today, that God, we would show your love to those we encounter. God, those we meet, those we know. God, those we work with or go to school with. God, whoever they are, that we would show them your love. And that God, we would point them toward the hope that is found in your Son, Christ. God, we pray that you would lead and guide us today. 
that we would be found worthy. We would be found worthy because of the life we have through you. So God, we pray. We pray you give us hope for each day. You strengthen us when we are hurting. And God, you use us for your kingdom. We pray this this morning in Christ's holy and precious name.
never leave my side Cause your love Will stand firm for all my life And oh God You never leave my side Cause your love Will stand firm for all my life Father God, we come to you this morning and we pray that we would truly believe that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what the situation is, that we understand that your love stands firm. That you never leave our side, Father God. That you are near in the midst of our triumph, just as you are near in the midst of our defeat. What a Savior, Father God. Someone we don't deserve, yet you've given yourself to us freely. This morning, Father God, we pray that we would recognize our need, our vast need for you to make an impact in our lives, not just once when we said yes to you, but daily, Father God, that we would recognize the sacrifice that we have to have every day of our lives to deny ourselves and to accept you to take over, because on our own, Father God, we are worthless. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And it is only you, Father God, and your love that can make a difference in the world around us. Father God, help us be the light. Help us be your hands and feet. And help us to listen for what you want for us this morning, Father God. Help us to, to let the words of your scripture, Father God, impact our lives so that we might become a changed and a better people. One that wants to go out and make a difference for you in this world. We love you and we worship you, and it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Anybody else for Children's Church? Go with Pastor Lore. He's cool if that's enough. So, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible this morning to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. I'm glad that you're here to worship this morning. And as we continue through uh, the book of Acts, this morning we come to uh, a very interesting part of this chapter. Uh, if you were with us last week, uh, we considered this council that took place almost 2,000 years ago where some, some very important things were resolved. The, the gospel, the, the good news of Christ, had begun to spread throughout the world just as Jesus had said it would. But as it did, it began to encounter people that were very different than the people who first heard the good news. In fact, in the beginning, the people that heard the good news were the Jewish people. 
God had sent them their Messiah. He had sent them their Savior. But as became very evident, the good news would not be for them only, but would be for the entire world. The question then became, if the good news is for more than just the Jewish people, if it's also for the Gentile people, everyone else, well then what was going to have to happen? What what were they going to have to do to, to be followers of Jesus? What was that going to look like for them? Because they lived very different lives than the Jewish people. They had a very different form of worship. They had a very different morality. They had different expectations on themselves. What were they going to to do? What were they going to have to change in their life? This became the question that we saw at the beginning of chapter 15 because there were some people who came from the church there in Jerusalem and and came up to where these Gentile people were being saved and told them, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This was something that was an oddity for them, not something that they would have thought about. Then the question became, do they they need to follow the circumcision that Moses had prescribed? Do they need to obey the law of Moses to be a Christian? That same question is applicable for us. Do we have to follow the law of Moses to also follow Jesus? And the solution that 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 council, that group of people came to was that no, they, they didn't have to do that. But there were things that were important, and we saw those in the last verses that we looked at last Sunday. They needed to abstain from things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what had been strangled, and from blood. Those were things that were of the utmost importance. Those were important because, as we ended in in verse 21, for from ancient generations Moses has been had has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he read every Sabbath in the synagogue. The the law of Moses was still being proclaimed, and it was being proclaimed even in the places where these Gentiles were being saved in the Jewish synagogues. And so these were important things, important characteristics. We find them laid out pretty clearly in Leviticus chapter 17 and 18, and, and the church says it's important for those things to still be observed. Not to be saved, but because you are saved. And then that brings us to the resolution, if you will, of this dispute beginning in verse 22. And as we think about it this morning, I want us to to consider it as a model for resolving conflict. The church in Jerusalem provides for us a great model for resolving conflict that had arisen among them. You might say, well, pastor, why would that be important? I doubt you're actually asking that question when it comes to conflict because we see a world embroiled in conflict. We see families caught up in conflict. We see churches in conflict with one another. The the world is full of conflict. The the left versus the right. The young versus the old. Different racial conflicts and ethnic conflicts that take place in, in our country and around the world. How do we resolve conflict? 
Well, that's what has taken place here. The first several verses we looked at last week, they're, they're engaging in this discussion. And these verses we look at, verse 22 through 29 this morning, we see how conflict is resolved. And it's of great importance to us because we also need to resolve conflict when it happens. So this morning I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me as we reverence God's Word and read, beginning in Acts 15, and beginning in verse 22. Acts 15, beginning in verse 22. The Bible says this, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Bersabbas and Silas, leading men from among the brothers. When the following, with the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you will keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. And you may be seated. This letter provides for us a proactive model for resolving conflict. And that is certainly something that is important in our time. Because we see conflict all around us and much of it goes unresolved. No one deals with it. We allow it to sit and fester. Or we simply break off the relationship and look for another. The reality is that God has made us to desire to be in relationships with other people. We see that early on in the Scriptures, going all the way back to the book of Genesis. We see a desire for there to be a marital relationship. But even before that, when God makes Adam... He creates him, and they are in a relationship. There is a friendship between God and between His creation. We even see before that, God, as, he, as we know Him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see even in His created work, let us make man in our own image. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect relationship with one another for all eternity. We, we reject the idea that, that we see in the Old Testament God as, as Father and the New Testament God as Son and then God is later Spirit. No, no, God exists, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity 
And there is a wonderful relationship there. God has made us to be relational creatures. But because of sin, our relationships become broken through conflict. And we see this conflict that has come about here. And, and to us, as we look at it now, some 2,000 years later, it may not seem to be that dramatic of a conflict. But this is an important moment in the church. Would the Gentiles have laid upon them the requirements to follow the law of the Old Testament? Or would the Spirit coming upon them be enough to show the early church that God had ordained this to be, that God had, had saved these men and these women in Antioch and in other places through the power of Christ. What's going to happen? What's going to be the requirement that will take place? When it's settled there in Jerusalem, when, when James says in verse 19, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. There is clarity in what is going to happen. But the church at Jerusalem seeks out to resolve this conflict with these new brothers in Christ. They are the mature ones, right? They are the apostles and the elders. They are the ones who have followed Jesus from the beginning. And they seek to resolve conflict so that the church would flourish. As we go through these steps of this model that this letter provides, I want you to think about, are you a person who seeks to resolve conflict? Here's the reality, you can't always do that. Some of you know that because you are the type of people who seek to resolve conflict and sometimes it can't be resolved. Because just as it takes two to have conflict, it takes two to resolve conflict. But are you the type of person seeking to resolve conflict that occurs in your life? What's the model that we see? Well, first we see that they utilize mature believers. Verse 22, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Bersabbas and Silas Leading men among the brothers. What did they do? One, they sent Paul and Barnabas back, right? Paul and Barnabas have been the missionaries who have traveled to all of these cities and proclaimed Jesus. They've been the ones who have spent years investing in the lives of people who came to faith in Christ. Sharing the good news with them. Teaching them. Leading them deeper into their faith. So they send them back. That makes sense because they're the ones who had come at the beginning. But they also send these two men, Judas called Bersabbas and Silas. This guy named Judas, we don't know anything else about. We don't see him again. But Silas becomes an important person in the ministry of Paul and in the ministry of the church. What did they do? They sent mature believers to help resolve the conflict. Why would they do that? Well, the thought is, if you're a mature believer, and I'm not talking about mature as in age, but mature as in the growth of your faith, then it is going to be natural for you to look to live in peace with other people. So, the flip side of that is also true. If you never live at peace with other people, it's probably going to be difficult for you to then call yourself a mature believer. 
Because mature believers, our, our thought is as we grow in Christ and become more like Christ, we're going to seek to be at peace with people around us. We're, we're going to seek to resolve those conflicts instead of letting them fester and grow and get worse. We're not going to be living a life that's going to bring about conflict with other believers. Right? I mean, we look at the example of people like Paul. What are they doing? They're living in such a way as to draw other believers to themselves. So that other believers look at their life and want to imitate their life. Not being constantly in conflict with others. So if you look at your life and you say, man, I can't get along with Christians at all. Well, the problem you know, might be you. You know, the, you've seen the thing online where, you know, like one out of ten friends are dumb, and if you know nine people and your nine friends are really smart, that makes you the, the dumb one, right? Well, if, if, if conflict seems to happen with everybody, maybe, maybe the problem is you and not everybody else. It's something to think about. They used mature believers, leading men from Jerusalem, the best among them to resolve the conflict. So how does this work with you? If you say, you know, I'm not very mature in my faith, but I do want to resolve some conflicts, it means you go find someone who you see as a mature person to help you have that discussion and, and go to that person and try to make things right. If we're going to be people who follow Christ, we can't have joy in living in conflict with people all the time. But I think if we were to think for just a few minutes, we would probably realize we know people who they live for conflict. Like they love it. They love it that there are a lot of people out there that hate their guts. I mean, they feed off of it. You know, it keeps them alive. I mean, we've all known that, that person. Some of us may have that person in our family. Hopefully none of us are that person. Maybe you are. Hopefully not, but maybe. If we want to resolve conflict and we don't feel like we have that ability in ourselves because we're still growing in faith and dealing with our own anger and our own hurt and our own pain, we want to, to utilize mature believers who can come and say, listen, what you're doing is wrong. You need to go apologize. Well, I don't want to apologize. Go apologize anyways. Go seek to resolve this. They use mature believers because mature believers can sit down and have honest conversations about differences and work to resolve them. That's why the church has to be led by mature believers. When we look at the qualifications for elders and for deacons, they have to be mature in their faith. Why? Because part of what they're going to do is resolve conflict among the brethren. Because even as many of us in this room have faith in Christ and have been saved by Christ, it doesn't remove the fact that if we're going to be a family and we're going to be friends and we're going to have church together, we're going to have conflict because we're human. And that's what happens. And so the foundation of what they're doing is utilizing mature believers to have this discussion 
The letter says, listen, we're going to send to you Silas, and we're going to send to you Judas, and they're actually going to repeat the things of this letter. They're going to explain what we mean because they're the mature type people who can have this conversation to fix the problem that is going on. Friends, if you're a mature believer, don't be part of the problem when it comes to conflict. If people seek to start conflict, you seek to resolve it. When they seek to be a part of the problem, you seek to be a part of the solution for the sake of the church. They utilize mature believers. We see second, that they acknowledge the common bond we have in Christ. Verse 23, with the following letter, we're sending these men with the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. What do they do in that greeting? They use the same term twice. We're the, the, the brothers of the church here in Jerusalem, the apostles and the elder, and we're writing this to you who are brothers of the Gentiles. Why is that important? Because they start the letter by saying they are brothers. You know, there had been a question before this, could, could God even save the Gentiles? Would God even save the Gentiles? You know, God has this special relationship with the Jewish people. It's, it's come down through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob it's come down through Joseph's sons. It's come down through the law of Moses. It's come down to them through King David. God has had this special relationship with Israel, with the Jewish people. And so there was a question, even if the gospel, even if the good news was for the Gentiles at all. And so when they began this letter with, we are the, the brothers, the apostles, and the elders, and we are writing to you, the brothers who are the Gentiles in these areas, in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. That's an acknowledgement that everything that is about to take place is coming out of their common bond in Christ. You know, when we think about the common bond that we have with other believers in Christ, it makes a lot of our conflict pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? Like, think about this. If you're having a conflict with another believer, you are bonded together in Christ infinitely greater then whatever conflict is threatening to tear you apart. I mean, think about that. Think about an ongoing conflict that you have right now with another believer. You say, I have no conflicts, Pastor. I am perfect. So now think about the conflict that you have with me because you're a liar. Now, some of you didn't get that, or y'all would have laughed a little bit more. Either you got conflict with somebody else and you're being honest, or you're lying to me, and so we got conflict, so imagine that one as your imaginary conflict. And we can talk about it after the service, where you apologize. Think about the conflict you got, whatever it is. Maybe it's a conflict over something that happened outside the church, and it affected your relationship, okay? Maybe someone said something to you, 
and it, it didn't sit well with you. Maybe somebody, we're being honest here, somebody has said something about our church and it rubbed you the wrong way because it was a lie. I don't have, have to have my glasses on to know some of you nodding. Man, that stinks, right? And that irritates me more than anything else. But is that conflict greater than the bond you have with a person who is in Jesus Christ? Well, it's not even close, right? Now, we realize that we have conflict with, with the world, and we have conflict with people who are not believers, and those things can run deep, and there is no bond there, right? That They have no bond in Jesus, so there is that, that common ground is gone. And when we get to other bonds, like we live in the same community or in the same country, or we like the same sports teams, or we vote the same or whatever, listen, those bonds are not that thick. But the bond we have in Christ is a greater bond than any conflict or any difference that we have. And the rest of this letter, in fact, the rest of the Bible can take place. The rest of the Bible can take place. Because the bond they have in Christ, that common bond in Jesus, that common bond of being saved by the blood of Christ is greater than their difference. The fact that Jesus died in their place is greater than the difference that they have over these issues, which, as we talked about last week, are not unimportant. They're issues of the utmost importance. But they are not greater than the bond that we have in Christ. So as you think about ongoing conflict that you may have in your life even this morning. Conflict that burns you up inside. Because the other person's obviously wrong and you're right. But is that conflict greater than the bond that you have in Christ with that person? Listen, there's sometimes you're not going to be able to resolve that conflict where everyone lock, locks arms and skips down the yellow brick road singing Kumbaya. I don't know how many things I just mixed together, but a lot. But even if it can't be resolved where everyone lives happily ever after, it should not be a conflict that continues to drive a wedge between us if we are truly bonded together in Christ. Utilize mature believers, acknowledge the common bond we have in Christ. Friends, if you are in conflict with someone, go to them. Go to them when this service is over and say, listen, we're not going to see eye to eye on this, but this is not going to drive a wedge in us because you love Jesus and I love Jesus and more importantly, Jesus loves both of us. Let's acknowledge that and that that is greater than the difference we have. Third thing, be clear about the cause of the dispute. Be clear about the cause of the dispute. They say, verse 24, 
Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you. They're clear about the problem. What had happened? Back in verse 1, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Who told those guys to do that? Nobody. Nobody sent those guys to do that. No, no one in Jerusalem, no one in Judea sent those guys and say, hey, go to the Gentiles and tell those guys that um, if you don't get circumcised, you can't be saved. There was never a discussion, there was never a vote, there was nothing. They just decided, we're going to go up there and do that. And it caused a problem. As they said there, it, it troubled them, verse 24, troubled them with their words. It unsettled their minds. They were clear about what had caused the dispute. You know, I've found in a lot of church conflict that the cause of the dispute is never actually uncovered or unveiled. Like, can I tell you that, that there are churches that have fought about the color of the carpet? Now, now, we haven't done that. Our carpet is multicolored, as you can tell. Different parts of it are different colors because it's older than, like, everybody in this section, at least, and some of y'all over here. I mean, this carpet's old. We've had to cut it up to repair the floor. It's got some stains on it. They ain't none of us fighting about the color of this carpet because it's, it's pretty bad, right? But can I tell you that it's my suspicion when I hear of a church fighting or, or even worse, splitting over the color of the carpet that the problem was that there was some ongoing conflict and dispute and they never got to the root of it? Right? I mean, listen, I know some of y'all, there were times when y'all didn't care if this building burned to the ground. Like some of you have gotten mad at former staff members, Jeff Brown, for putting out fires. I still give him a hard time about that every time I see him. Like you could have let it burn. So we don't care as much about those sort of things as some churches, right? But I got a feeling that there are things that we fought about before, and we fought about one thing, but the core of the dispute was something else because we weren't clear about what we were really talking about. I had somebody come to my office one time and just give me a chewing. You know what I found out? After we talked about about six things, we got to the core of what the problem was. But what it started out, the conflict, the initial conflict, the initial conversation had nothing to do with anything happening at church at all. But when we got to the core of it, it was something that could be resolved and taken care of. They are clear about the cause of the dispute, and that makes it possible to resolve it. Many times in conflict, we want to we hit on places we think we can win instead of digging down to the core of the problem and resolving it as brothers and sisters in Christ should do. 
And friends, we need to be careful with that. Because while it doesn't honor God at all for our relationships to be broken, it certainly does not honor Him for our relationships to be broken based on lies. And if they had not got to the core, the cause of the dispute here, their fight would have been based on a lie. But they were clear. Men came teaching you. They were teaching you something that was not true. They upset you. They disturbed you. And they were not authorized to do so. You know, if those guys were still there, can you imagine that? The guys were still there that had been teaching that. Man, that would be tough, right? That would be tough to hear the apostles and elders in Jerusalem just said, hey, uh, these guys standing beside you listening to this letter being read, they weren't authorized to say that. They, they didn't have the ability to say that. That They weren't supposed to do that. You know, we have to do that from time to time in our daycare. Somebody will say something or, or say something's good or bad or okay, and, and I have to step in and say, yeah, you... You are authorized to do that. No, that's not what we do here. This is the exact same thing. The apostles and elders are saying, no, here's the, here's the reason we're having conflict. Here's the core of the problem. And they were not supposed to say that. Imagine how many of our disputes and conflicts would be resolved with that very thing. Well, pastor, you said this. Actually, I didn't say that. Well, 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 the deacon said this. No, they, this is not what they said. It's what you heard. It's what you heard through 50,000 miles of grapevine, but that's not what was said, and that's not what happened. If we'll be clear about what a dispute is, we are then able to resolve it. And fourth, we seek solutions that unify. We seek solutions that unify. Here's what he says for it. The letter says, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Well, how did the Holy Spirit confirm this? Well, remember back what had happened. Peter had been preaching, Paul had been preaching, Barnabas had been preaching, these guys had been preaching, and what happened? The Spirit of God fell upon the church. They experienced the Spirit of God. The evidence of the Spirit was there in their life. It was clear that God had changed them. And so he says, we, we're, we're going to lay no greater burden on you than these requirements. What were these requirements? That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. What are they supposed to be concerned with? They're not to have a greater burden put on them that they need to be circumcised or that they needed to obey the law of Moses. There was no greater burden to be on them for them to be believers. But the church in Jerusalem, because of where they lived, because of where they came from, they were to be concerned about their worship and about their fellowship with their Jewish brothers. All four of these things have an element of worship to them in the culture in which they are writing. It was not uncommon for them to eat food sacrificed to idols, to eat food that still had blood in it, to eat food that had been strangled. 
Their worship in many of these pagan communities included sexual immorality as part of their worship. They were to abstain from that. This allowed them to then have fellowship with their Jewish brothers in their community because it was going to be impossible for these Jewish brothers who who had followed the law of Moses to then come in and be okay with meat that had been sacrificed to idols. To come in and eat meat that still had blood in it, which was against the Jewish tradition. The Jewish people held a a high view of sexual morality and the, the pagan cultures in Antioch and other places held a very low view of sexual morality. In fact, sexual immorality was praised in those cultures. And so they tell them, if you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Their solution was one that could unify the brothers. Because remember, when Paul went into these cities, where did he start? He started proclaiming the gospel among the Jewish people in the synagogue, in the religious center. And so these early churches became a place where Gentiles and Jews worshipped together. Friends, that was unheard of because Jewish people had nothing to do with Gentile people. They separated from them. And yet the early church became a place that reflected both cultures. It became a place that, that reflected people from many different backgrounds coming together to worship And these things would be vital for the unity of their fellowship in worshiping together. They had to to abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and from that which had been strangled. They could not continue going to these temples and these pagan centers that were places full of sexual immorality and then coming to the church to worship. They had to remove themselves from those things. And these were solutions that unified. They weren't an undue burden on the Gentile church, but rather something they could celebrate together and be unified together in worship to Christ. The bond of Christ was greater than the conflict that they had. Friends, when we seek seek unity... When we seek to resolve conflict, we must do so with solutions that unify the church. Solutions that unify the church. You know, we're not always going to get what we want. We've got to accept that. We've got to accept that that in relationships with other people, we're not always going to get everything that we want. And things won't always be how we think they should be. If we can't accept that, can I tell you what's going to happen? You're going to constantly find yourself in conflict with someone else. And some people do that to the point where they end up attempting to be a church and a family of one. Because that's the only person they can ever get along with. And if you're like me, sometimes I don't get along with myself very well. And yet that's what so many people have done. There are people who never seek to unify. They never seek to get along with other people. They never seek to minimize their own preferences to lift up the needs of others. 
And so their family becomes all about them. Their job becomes all about them. Their church becomes all about them. It's all about what they want. They never seek solutions that unify. Can I tell you what's most important? Is in the end, we must desire and seek to do what Christ wants. And He called us to be one so that the world around us would know Him. If you look through the Bible, there's no commentary on carpet colors or music styles or building structures. But there's a lot, a lot of Jesus talking about His followers being together on mission for Him. And what these brothers do here, these apostles and elders who had never met these Gentile believers. They don't even bring the Gentile believers down to Jerusalem to ask them what they want. And what what they do, though, is seek out the best for them. So that those Gentile church members in that pagan culture far away from Jerusalem who had never seen Jesus face to face as they had could follow Jesus in spirit and in truth. Could worship Him. Follow Him. Serve Him. So that their life and their community would be radically transformed from this pagan place that lifted up idolatry and lifted up sexual immorality to a place that followed after Jesus. We must seek solutions that unify so that the church can be stronger and be together. So here's the challenge. Do you seek to resolve conflict in a manner that honors the Lord? As you think about your own life, you say, Pastor, I've I've never done that, and if I start today, people are going to think there's something wrong with me. It would be a good thing to be wrong with you. How good it would be and how good it is when we can live at peace with one another. Do you seek to resolve conflict in a manner that honors the Lord? And if not, friends, here is a solution. Here are steps. If you say, I'm not mature enough to do it, get some mature believers around you and go and seek that resolution. Make sure that the person knows, listen, what binds us together in Christ is so much stronger than that conflict that has separated us maybe for years, maybe for decades. Be clear with them the reason there was conflict between you. And what's interesting is if it's been a long time, you might not actually remember what it was. And if you don't remember what it was, was it important enough for your relationship to be broken because of? And then finally, seek solutions in that relationship that will unify. Maybe it's not going to fix everything. Again, maybe you're not going to lock arms, skip down the road, singing all these songs, birds flapping and tweeting and all this stuff. But wouldn't it be good to lay your head down tonight and know that that relationship is no longer in conflict? That you could call them tomorrow and have a conversation? That you could see them in public and not turn the buggy the other way and go down the other aisle? Listen, we've all done that, right? Right? 
Do you seek solutions that unify? Are you a person who seeks to resolve conflict? Final thought, the church, as we move forward from verse 29 and this note, this letter, the church was blessed and the gospel spread because conflict was cured. You know, when those guys came from Judea and began to to share this message, it upset the church. It upset their mind. You know, the next person they have a conversation with about following Jesus, you don't know what to tell them to do. Hey, buddy, I'm not sure. You may need to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. And the guy's like, who's Moses? And you're like, I, I don't know a lot about this Moses guy, but we may need to follow him too for you to be saved. They don't know because there's, their, their minds are unsettled. But when it is settled, when the dispute is settled, the conflict is cured, the gospel spread. And friends, you and I are here today because this resolution of conflict happens in Acts chapter 15. The gospel spread forward. The gospel went throughout Europe. The gospel came to America. The gospel spread across the world. Because in Acts 15, mature believers sat down and resolved the conflict. Imagine what God will do if there is conflict in your life, unresolved, and it is fixed through the power of the gospel. It can heal families. It can heal relationships. It can heal churches. Are you the type of person that seeks to resolve conflict in a manner that honors the Lord? If not, friends, here's a process to begin. To mend those fences and glorify Christ through His power to make us one. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your goodness and grace. We thank You that You love us and You care for us and that You've given us hope. God, we thank You that You are the one who resolves our disputes and our conflict. That with our brothers and sisters who are gathered here in our family of faith, that we can truly live as one because the bond that has brought us together in Your Son is greater than any conflict we may have. God, help us to be people who go from this place and resolve conflict. Help us as we go to set aside differences that are trivial and do not matter and unify around your message. God, I pray that each person here, God, would feel impressed upon them the need to go and resolve conflict that is hanging over their head even this morning. God, someone here at our church or someone in our community, someone in their family, God, whoever it is, that Your Word would not fall on deaf ears, but rather Your Word would turn to action in our life as we go from this place and live out what You've called us to do in resolving differences for the glory of Your Gospel. God, lead and guide us during this time. Lead and guide us. Help us to follow You faithfully as we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing this final song this morning. Would you respond to God's Word? So His Word shows us that His people had a difference. They put Him first and they moved forward with His mission. Maybe there's somebody you need to have that conversation with. It won't be easy. And they, hey, I'm not, at, I'm not saying they're going to forgive you. I'm not saying they're going to be your best friend. But friends, if we've got unresolved conflict as the people of God, shouldn't we resolve that so that we can move forward with His mission? Forget what somebody else does. Forget what they want out of you. That we would move forward for His sake. Maybe you need to come pray about that, that God would prepare your heart for that conversation. Maybe you need to, to find that person when the service is over and say, listen, I just need to talk to you for a minute. Maybe you need to make a call. Friends, would you listen to what God has called us to do? Would you begin to pray even now that He would lead you to obey His Word as we sing together?
gracious to you. The Lord turned his face toward you and give you peace. Well, I want to thank you for coming to worship this morning, and I hope that as we go, we'll be truly the peacemakers who seek to resolve conflict. Even if the solution is something that, that causes us to have to sacrifice, so if it's for the betterment of God's kingdom, that we would do just that. That we'd be willing to give up our preferences to do what God has called us to do. I hope as you go, you'll consider how God might be leading you to resolve some conflict in your life that's keeping you from serving Him in the way that He has for you. We'll be starting Sunday school in just a few minutes and uh, with our, our youth and kids over in their rooms in the gym. Our adults will be in here. I hope you'll stay for that and continue to study God's Word and fellowship together. And then tonight, 6 o'clock, our Bible study continues uh, through the Bible. And uh, we're getting closer to the end of Genesis. And so I hope you'll come out and study God's Word with us this evening. I want to pray for us and we're going to be dismissed. I hope you'll all have a blessed day. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace, for your peace, for your love. We thank you that you, you've caused us to be born again. You've given us new life in Christ. God, I pray that we go from this place living the life that he has enabled us to live through the death that he died in our place. God, we thank you for giving us new life, for forgiving us of our sin, for wiping them away. And so as we go, God, let us go being people of peace, seeking to live in harmony with our brothers and sisters in Christ and showing your love to a world that desperately needs it. We thank you for loving us and sending us as we go. Praying in Christ's name, amen.